You've been here before. Sure you have. Sure, I never forget a face. Come on over here. Let me shake your hand. You couldn't have picked a better day to come back to Castle Rock. Stephen King, Needful Things. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Today we're talking about small towns that seem too good to be true. Could there be something sinister hiding behind that white picket fence? Well, maybe. Join us for a spoiler-free discussion of small towns with big secrets on this episode of Books in the Freezer. So when we decided to cover this topic, we quickly realized that it's really hard to talk about these kind of stories without giving away too much. So it's not a spoiler to say that all the books we're going to talk about in this episode, in one way or another, have some kind of twist on the supposedly perfect small town. However, for the record, we promise that we won't spoil any of the twists in any of the books we're talking about, including the classics. So even if you haven't read all the books that we're talking about today, don't worry, you can keep listening. But this episode did provide us with a really good opportunity to talk about spoilers, which can be a pretty controversial topic when it comes to books. Let's start by asking, so what's your opinion, Stephanie? Are you really sensitive to spoilers? How do you feel about them when it comes to books? I am very sensitive. I almost like to go into books blind. Both of us are on booktube. So if I'm watching like a YouTube video and someone is putting up a book that I want to read, I will be very kind of trigger happy to like skip it forward a couple seconds if I think they're going to give anything away. Because sometimes I just like to go in with a completely blank slate, which (laughs) makes it really fun to do TBRs and hauls because I'm like, I don't know. I know what you mean. I run into that too, where if I know something's up my alley, I'll kind of learn as little about the book as I need to decide it's for me and stop there. It sounds like we're pretty similar when it comes to spoilers. We kind of agree on most topics. We need to be more controversial and like argue more on this podcast, I'm pretty sure, because (laughs) I'm also super sensitive to spoilers. I hate when people give away too much and... I even get bugged when I hear that there's a twist or turn in a book if it's not explicitly advertised that way. All the books we're talking about today, if you were to flip the back of the book and look at the description, you would know that there is something wrong with these small towns. But there are those books where you go into it expecting it to be one thing and then halfway through something totally changes and you have no idea and the author is purposely trying to confuse you or surprise you. And I hate when someone tells me that there's a giant twist halfway through and you'll never see it coming because I'm like, well, now I'm going to see it coming because you just told me that. Thanks a lot. I know. Thanks so much. (laughs) Do you feel the same way? Do you not like to know that something crazy is coming? Yeah, because then I'm on high alert when I'm reading or watching. I'm looking for any clues. I'm looking for everything that's off and I'm going to try to guess what it is. Whereas if I was just enjoying it just as a story and then I got blindsided with a twist, that is 
such a good experience to be like, wow, I did not see that coming at all. Where did that come from? And so, yeah, sometimes you do get a little robbed of that. But then sometimes I can't help myself and I'll find myself like accidentally reading spoilers. And I'm like, why did I do that? That's frustrating. I tend to give very short summaries of books. And you probably noticed this on the podcast. I kind of actually have to force myself to say more than one sentence about the book that we're talking about because I like to know so little that I can be really concise to the point of not really saying what the book is actually about and there's even books less so in horror but maybe more psychological thrillers where I have had to lie about what the synopsis is because if you actually describe what the book is about you're giving away too much I have gotten to the point of pretty much making things up rather than giving away what's actually going on if it's meant to be a surprise to the reader I understand that like you tell them more what the author leads them to believe in the first part of the book. Exactly. I always feel weird once I know the truth about what's behind the story because I'm like, well, she's not actually who she says she is, but I have to pretend that so-and-so is. And I think we'll forgive you for that. Oh, good, because I'm really bad for doing that. (laughs) I do that a lot and then I feel guilty afterwards. Do you ever watch or listen to or read a book review about a book you haven't read yet if it's just like a single book review? Very rarely. I have to really trust the book reviewer because I find they give away more than I'd like to. Mm -hmm. So I will on rare occasions, but I have to know who's talking because when I give a review, I tend to say again less about the plot and it's more about my reaction to it. I will say this book surprised me. This was slow paced. I found this a page turner, etc, etc. If if someone is going to give an in-depth review and they're going to spend paragraphs going over all the plot details, they're probably giving away more than I want to know and that's when I'll click off a review because I don't want to know if the story's good. I want to experience it for myself. Well, since we're agreeing so much, we'll have to open this up to listeners to let us know how you feel about spoilers or how sensitive you are or how much you're willing to learn about a book before reading it. Because this is something that came up when we first started the podcast. Because so much of our episodes are based around different topics, sometimes we have to decide whether or not we can talk about a book or if that's a spoiler. For instance, you know, if we talk about vampire books, you know, all the books that we're talking about, you clearly know that they fit into that category. But there are times that a book will not be very explicit what type of horror is hiding in the book. So I know of some books with, say, zombies, where it doesn't say on the back of the book that the book's about zombies. So we have to decide whether or not we can include that in that episode when we get to it. And I'm leaning towards no, that it has to be stories where it's really explicit what the danger is in order for us to put it in a particular topic. I think it depends if like part of the enjoyment of the book comes from discovering that it's a case by case basis. So for this particular episode, what are we going to say constitutes a spoiler? I'm going to say if the whole premise of the story is that the town is hiding a secret, which is the plot for a lot of these guys, we're not going to tell you what the secret is. That seems fair. So as long as everyone's okay with that, they can keep listening. It's all good. We're going to make sure to keep our lips sealed and just talk about what we liked about these books without giving away too much. And I know I read a quote from Needful Things and Stephen King does a lot of work in small towns, but specifically the kind of small towns we're talking about are where the townspeople are kind of in on this secret and it's a little more conspiratorial And granted, I have not read every Stephen King book, but even with Derry in it, 
I felt like that was kind of an outside force that was controlling the townspeople more than the townspeople being in on something sinister and perpetrating things. Would you agree, Rachel? That makes sense. I went with the same premise too. Let's try to break this down. What would be some of the trends that we commonly see around these kind of stories? I would say there's like two kinds of stories. One of them is an outsider going into the small town. And then from there, how the townspeople react to the outsider if they're receptive to them and maybe sometimes a little overly receptive to them or if they are trying to actively run this person out of town. I would say like that's one type of story. And then the other one is the story told from someone who's inside the town and you kind of see the lengths that people go to keep the secret. So you're seeing it from someone who's in the town and just the strange things or rituals that the townspeople will have and just the normalcy around them. Like, yeah, this is just what we do. It's an annual tradition. Yeah, I love the normalcy around that. And I was thinking that these stories almost take the classic trope of the too good to be true house that we were talking about way back in haunted houses. And it kind of applies it to the whole town because everything just seems perfect. But you know it's not because this book is going to be shelved in the horror section. So you know something is not quite as perfect as it seems. Okay, so Rachel, you've mentioned before that you currently live in a small town. I do. So I have to ask you, what is creepier, an odd reclusive neighbor or a too friendly neighbor? I kind of hate this question because my answer is the too friendly neighbor, which is making me think that I might be the odd reclusive neighbor if you were to ask the same question to my own neighbors. But I don't like the neighbors that are like hovering at your fence, talking to you while you're trying to enjoy a barbecue and just show up without announcing. I'm not a big fan. How about you? I agree. I also think that I'm probably the odd reclusive neighbor on the street just because I keep really weird hours with my job. I also not a fan of the too friendly neighbor. There was a tweet that I saw. It's like whenever neighbors are too friendly with me, I worry that I'm going to get Rosemary's babied. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I strongly believe in that saying, what is it? Good fences make good neighbors. Yeah. I like my fences. I like them a lot. So, so far, has there been anything odd about your experiences living in a small town? So far, there's been a couple of things that have been weird. First is our neighbor. There's a really lovely older lady who likes to get tan during the summer when she does her yard work. So she decides to garden in the middle of summer, in the middle of the day, in her front yard, which is on a main street. So everyone can see her and she gardens in her panties and her bra. Not not a swimsuit, her panties and a bra. <laughs> I thought you were going to say in the nude. I was going to be like, oh my god. <laughs> Well, now it just seems normal because at least she's wearing clothes. I guess it's all relative, right? I should be thankful that she's wearing her panties. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Canada's like indecent exposure laws and we were about to get really sidetracked. So yeah, that's weird. So is that something you're just like, yep, there's Marla. Yeah, my husband gets a good eyeful most days of summer. (laughs) And then we also have a lot of livestock that keep coming into our Tim Hortons. I also saw someone riding a horse that went through the drive-thru to get coffee. So I consider that weird, but maybe it's because I come from living in a larger city where that's not really okay. You don't bring your goats to the coffee shop. I would say that's kind of weird, yeah. So 
I'm sure my neighbors might have odd stories about that weird couple that live next door and they might be talking about us. So because as we mentioned, we also record videos for YouTube and the only place that gives me enough light is my front window. So all my neighbors can see myself in the corner of my living room talking to myself and they can't see the camera from the angle. And I've had people show up my door and they're like, why were you sitting in the corner just talking to yourself while holding up books? <laughs> and it's a really awkward conversation to have. So yeah. How about yourself? I've had neighbors look at me because I went outside like in my pajamas because I wear my pajamas just a lot. Oh, me too. Because I've been walking out in my front yard in my pajamas trying to take pictures for Instagram of books. And I'm just having this weird book photo shoot in my front yard with like leaves and trees. and like Just Stephanie in her PJs and a book. Yeah, just my little book photo shoot. I just think to people outside the book world, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, oh. <laughs> I think so. But to me, if I saw it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, she must be on Instagram. Yeah, I'm just taking some Bookstagram pictures, taking advantage of that natural light and trying to get some texture in her picture. Completely makes sense to me, but I might be the odd one out. You might need to talk to yeah. someone else to make sure that you're not crazy. So what would you say we like about these kinds of stories? I think I love whenever, especially if we have the story where it's an outsider coming into town, their naive ideals about this town and like, oh my gosh, everyone here is so nice. All the houses are so pretty and they seem really oblivious to the fact that maybe there's something darker going on and just like, isn't this wonderful? And as we mentioned, most of these have some kind of a twist. So whenever we get to the reveals of the twist, of course, is what keeps me coming back. Absolutely. I'm the same way. I love the suspense that comes with these kind of stories. It always keeps me on edge and I'm someone who loves a good mystery. So any kind of story that can keep me guessing and I'm just constantly trying to figure out what that twist might be, what's going on. And I love when the author puts in little hints along the way to kind of tease you and you're wondering what details are important and which ones are red herrings. So that works really well. It just always, I don't know, scratches some part of my brain that I just really enjoy. I noticed that these books don't tend to be particularly scary, at least in my opinion. The ones I picked out all ended up being room temperature. And I don't know if that's kind of goes with the genre that because the reader is aware that something is wrong with these small towns, I just didn't feel like it was the scariest situation. So I think these books are pretty safely read by not just horror fans, but by a larger audience for the most part. I think, yeah, they have a fairly wide appeal. I think there's one or two of mine that I put in the fridge just because they do get some crazy imagery and it does, in those cases, go to some dark places. But that wasn't something I found to be the case with the genre. I need to be reading your books. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> and do you think these books can be reread? I think it depends on the kind of person you are. Like if you can reread a thriller, which I cannot, but if you're the kind of person that can reread a thriller, then I would say you're the kind of person that could reread one of these stories. That's a good point. I think some of these I could reread, some of these I couldn't. I think it depends on how much the book relies on that particular twist. If that's the entire reason to read the book, it's hard to reread, but some of them I think have a lot more character development, world building, things like that, and make it just a good story, even if you already know what the twist is? I would say in some of these, you can reread them if 
you know, the second time around, you're not focusing so much on the mystery, but now you're focusing so much on maybe the nuances or the bigger point that the author was making because you're not putting all your energy into trying to, you know, look into every underlying meaning of what everyone is saying and you can maybe focus on you know maybe the overall point that the author was trying to make on a second go around well i'm glad you actually mentioned that because that's the case with the first book i want to talk about for a recommendation section because i want to talk about the lottery by shirley jackson which i did reread for the podcast it's a short story so it really didn't take me long i had no excuse is this one you've read very recently because i love shirley jackson She's so good. I read this for the first time in high school, but it had been so long ago, over 10 years, I figured it was about time for a reread. So for anyone who hasn't read this story, I'll give you a brief synopsis. I don't want to say too much just because it is so short, but this particular story is about a small town that has this annual tradition known as the lottery. We don't know much off the bat about what it's about, but we know that it's something that's held every year on June 27th. The locals gather together to participate in this mysterious lottery. We know that this lottery ensures a good harvest. There's a common saying that lottery in June, corn be heavy soon. The lottery starts at 10 a.m. every year in order for everything to be done and wrapped up by lunchtime. So while we follow the lottery that is happening in this one particular town, we know that these kind of lotteries happen in other nearby small towns and I really can't say more than that. It's so hard to give a synopsis without giving away too much. It's a story that pretty much everyone in Canada reads as part of our education curriculum and it's really considered to be an American classic so I think a lot of people read it during their school years as well. So I don't know what's going on with your school system but they're failing you a little bit over there Stephanie. <laughs> Yeah, for some reason, I never read this in school. I know other people that did, but for some reason, I feel like somehow I just happened to miss this. I don't know if I missed the day or if my teacher didn't assign it. I am disappointed in your state. I'm going to be writing some angry letters to your congressman. Okay. But this story was first published in 1948 in The New Yorker, and apparently the initial reactions were so negative. I guess there was a lot of readers that canceled their subscriptions when they read this story, and The New Yorker received an unprecedented number of letters and phone calls all about the story, and a lot of those letters were basically hate mail. I understand that the Union of South Africa even banned the story at one point. Wow. It definitely has a lot of history behind it, and I think that's really funny to have a story that had such a crazy reaction. And as I mentioned, it's one that I read and still remembered years later. It really stuck in my head. It's got a really good punch to it, and I think it's just a good story to introduce people to the genre. It's super short and is a classic for a reason. And while we were just talking about rereading, this is one I could see myself going back to rereading every five years or so. It's not a big time commitment. And picking it up again, now that I knew where the story was going, I definitely picked up a lot of details that went right over my head the first time. This is a very slow paced story that is seemingly filled with mundane details. And there's a lot of discussion about the replacement of the lottery box years ago when the original was 
lost and was never found and then the fact that they now use paper instead of wood chips to conduct the lottery and I think this ties into the kind of story you mentioned where the town thinks that this is very normal but you as the reader are left wondering what on earth are they doing and I can't say anything more but I just loved it if you are so lucky as to have not read this before and have not been spoiled somehow for it I definitely recommend picking it up. It holds up so well, and it's my personal favorite. I'd give it a room temperature rating, but it still, like I said, packed a good punch and is such a memorable story that I can see why so much hate mail came around it because it's controversial, certainly back when it was published at least. Yes, and I definitely agree that this is one that you can reread and find different things in it every time. Just little subtle things that she did and the focus she places on different things is just amazing. I've read a couple Shirley Jackson stories. I have a collection like The Lottery and other stories and The Lottery is definitely the standout in that. So even if you're someone that doesn't read a lot of short stories and like Rachel said, you haven't read this for some reason, I would suggest checking it out. It's so good. And I re-listened to this on audio. So for anyone who has a library that has audiobooks, chances are they have this one and it's very well narrated. So it's about an hour or two to listen to and it was just great. So my next pick is one that we've definitely talked about before. It's Hex by Thomas Old Hovelt. The synopsis is that the town of Black Spring has kept the 300-year-old curse of the Black Witch by keeping the town quarantined with high-tech surveillance and security. The young people in the town start to become restless with this confinement to the town, and they decide it's time to break the curse and outsmart the town and its traditions. There are so many places that this book goes that I love, but one of the things I love, and I think, Rachel, you'll agree with me, is the opening scene. Absolutely. So... The opening scene is basically the town getting together and conspiring using this technology to keep people out of their town. And you just see like a control room and people getting together and just really putting in the effort to make sure that people are not coming into this town. And it reminded me of a movie that I can't say what it is because that's also a spoiler. But if you are a horror fan... You know what movie I'm talking about with people working a control room and trying to manipulate stuff that's happening. And it definitely gave me that vibe in the opening of this story. And this also has an element that the lottery had kind of just the power of a town and like this is the way it is and this is the way it's always been and this is normal. And kind of the power of tradition to make people do things that they wouldn't normally do and just really the way that this book dealt with what could be, you know, quote unquote, a witch hunt. So I'm putting this book in the fridge. There are definitely some creepy scenes. The Black Witch, every time she's described, she's this lurking, haunting presence and like her eyes and mouth are sewn shut. And just imagine that you're like having dinner and there's just like a corpse with its eyes and mouth sewn shut just lurking over your dinner table. Just it's so unsettling. So I have mentioned before, I really, really like this book. So that is Hex by Thomas Old Havelt. I always love that image of her with her lips sewn up. I love body horror. So that one always gets me. (laughs) I definitely would put this one in the fridge. And I forgot that that was on your list. So that makes sense why you have a fridge worthy pick. And this is a nice one to talk about in this episode because it isn't like the other ones where the secret isn't hidden from the reader. 
and it's more about the town just trying to keep this under wraps but you as a reader know from the beginning that this witch is here and it's just watching this town struggle to keep this quiet I remember how the town just gets so used to having the witch around that they don't even react. I remember that scene where they're all having dinner and they're like, oh, look, the witch is in the living room and she's just staring at them. Oh, and another thing that I really like about this is that you kind of get multiple angles from this. So you do get the main family that is kind of the main players in the story that have lived in this town and their kids live in this town and you get that but you also get some outsiders and them having to be introduced to these traditions and their reaction to all this and getting basically induced into this town and the curse and what everything that the curse entails which I thought was really interesting so you kind of get both of those in this book. That is such a good pick definitely one of my favorites so I'm glad we got the excuse to talk about it again. So my next pick is another classic, and that is The Stepford Wives by Ira Levin, which is a story that follows Joanna and her family who move into a beautiful town called Stepford. She tries to make friends with the other housewives and mothers in the town, but really struggles to connect with these frighteningly submissive women. She does eventually make some friends, but then something happens and her friends become more docile and just drop all their previous interests and just seem to become more like the other women. As a feminist, Joanna begins to suspect that something more sinister is going on in the town and goes on to investigate to discover the underlying secret behind Stepford. This is one that I had watched the movie, the 2004 remake featuring Nicole Kidman before reading the book so I did know the secret or twist right from the start when I was picking it up and I definitely think it colored my impression a little bit and I think even if you haven't read it a lot of people are aware of what the twist is I don't think you've read this one yet do you know without saying it do you know what the twist is yes because I also watched the Nicole Kidman movie (laughs) oh nice so at least we can talk about this without talking about it and you know what I'm saying yeah that remake was definitely a more satirical take on the whole situation but I still enjoyed the book. I think it's worth reading just to understand the context of what someone means when they say, oh, you're a Stepford wife. And it's such a common phrase in North American culture that it's good to kind of know where that comes from. The book was originally published in 1972 and is just a classic. If you're going to talk about small towns with secrets, this is one you have to talk about. And again, it's not a spoiler because you know that there is something not right with this town. It's advertised on the back of the book. Joanna is suspecting that something is wrong and I actually related to her a lot. She isn't interested in being the perfect wife and is very frustrated with the other women who would rather dote on their husbands and clean their house all day rather than having their own interests and hobbies and personalities for lack of a better word. I did find the book to be room temperature but like I said it's a classic. It's such a short read and it's definitely worth checking out even if you're like us and have already seen the movies and kind of know what's going to happen. It was still really enjoyable to see it roll out. It's definitely one I want to read because I figured the movie's take on it seemed a little ridiculous and over the top so I definitely want to see the source material to see what the original idea was. And that's a good point. Compared to the 2004 movie, it is quite different. It has the same general idea, but you can completely read it even if you've watched the movie. 
So my next pick is American Elsewhere by Robert Jackson Bennett. And the synopsis for this is that Mona Bright is an ex-cop. She inherits a house that belonged to her mother in the town of Wink, New Mexico. It's a suburban town with pretty houses and quiet streets under a pink desert moon. But Mona notices that the people of Wink are definitely very nice, but also very, very different. I think this would be great for anyone who was a fan of the Welcome to Night Vale podcast. Just because the Southwest desert setting had me a little homesick while reading this because I did grow up in Southern California, but I grew up in a lot more of like a desert setting. And this book has such a strong sense of place. So whenever this book talked about like sunsets and mountains and like cacti, and I'm like, reminds me of home. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, so it had me feeling a little homesick. So for people who like Welcome to Night Vale, it kind of does have that like something's not quite right. But in this case, we are in Mona's perspective and she's an outsider coming into this town. So while you're reading it, you also have that feeling of like something isn't quite right. You don't know what it is. I thought this was a really good blend of science fiction, fantasy and horror. Like I could point to the elements that like, you know, this part of it was definitely science fiction. This part of it was definitely fantasy. And this part of it was definitely horror. There were some creepy images and just creepy scenes that I still think about. They kind of haunted me a little bit. It was really good. So this is a very long book. I listened to it on audio and it was close to 30 hours. And I was a little worried because I did see that there was some fantasy elements in it, but I ended up really enjoying it. And I mean, I listened to it and I finished it and I was intrigued and into the story the whole time, which kind of surprised me. But yeah, so very readable. And this fits into this category because the people of Wink are definitely in on a secret. And whenever Mona presses people, because she's still a cop, you know, she still has that instinct to try to figure out what's going on. So when she presses people, the people seem to be afraid to let Mona know what they know. And she was such a great character. She was definitely a badass that just like took charge and got things done. So she was a really fun character to read in this. She just made it very enjoyable. This for me was also room temperature. Very intriguing. Definitely not horrifying though. That book is giant. If it's the one I'm thinking of, I think I requested it once from my library. And (laughs) this doorstop of a book showed up and I just looked at it and I was like, I don't have time to read this right now. And so it went back before I got a chance to pick it up. Yeah, that's what happened to me. I can't believe you did that on audio. It's a very chunky book. That's why I did it on audio because I was like, I can't do like a 700 page book right now. Like, It's not going to happen. That's pretty impressive. I prefer short audiobooks. So the fact that you were intrigued enough to go for 30 plus hours says a lot for the book. It's one I want to check out because I want to know what the twist is on there. So I'll get to that one at some point when I'm ready to take on that mammoth. (laughs) Sounds good. So my next pick is a lot shorter than yours. And that is Pines by Blake Crouch, which is the first book in the Wayward Pines trilogy. This story follows Secret Service agent Ethan Burke, who has been tasked with investigating two other federal agents who went missing in the little town in Idaho, named Wayward Pines. However, on his drive to the town, he gets into a bad car accident and wakes up in the hospital with no ID and no cell phone. Basically cut off from the outside world, Ethan starts exploring the town. Everyone seems friendly, but something just feels off. As the days pass, Ethan's investigation leads to more questions, and eventually he is left wondering what is really going on in this little quaint community of Wayward Pines. 
I really enjoyed this one. It was a very fast read. It's quite short and it's a perfect one for anyone who's in a reading slump because I read it when I was kind of struggling to get into a book at the time and it's just one that pulls you in because it's very fast paced. It's just one nonstop narrative. I don't think you've read this, but I want to say, have you seen the TV show? I have seen the TV show. I thought so. So I actually haven't seen the TV show, but I do want to. Obviously, I know what the twist in this one is, but I think it would be really interesting to watch it on screen. And I also think it'd be a good excuse to have my husband experience the story because it's really hard to get him to read a book. But I don't know how much rereadability is in a book like this. It's actually the first book in a trilogy. But because of the twist, which happens right at the end of the book, they're just very different stories. And I can't say why because of, you know, spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Is this one you think you would read even though you've already watched the TV show? I'm not sure. I do know that Blake Crouch, his books are very compulsively readable. Like I read Dark Matter. I read it in less than a day. Like I could not put it down. So I could see that being the case with this book. But maybe it wouldn't because I know the twist. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I've read pretty much everything that Blake Crouch has written at this point and really love his work. I had absolutely no idea what was happening when I was reading. I was guessing every possible option and I was wrong. I was so wrong. Did you figure it out at all? No, I don't think anyone could figure this out. I don't know. I feel like there's some smart person who will respond to us after this episode and be like, oh yeah, wasn't it obvious? But I was completely clueless. No, I do not think a person that thinks normally would be able to guess what the twist is in this. It's just so off the wall. It's like, what? Yeah, I put this one as room temperature, but I still really enjoyed it. It's just a great one to experience. Again, if you don't know what the twist is, if you don't know what we're talking about, just go pick it up. You will fly through it in a day and... It was just, yeah, a lot of fun to read and just trying to guess what was going on. Maybe someone figured it out, but you're probably right, Stephanie. It's so bizarre. And that is Pines by Blake Crouch. My next pick is Harvest Home by Thomas Tryon. And the synopsis for this is Ned and Beth Constantine want a change of scenery from their big city life. And when they come across the town of Cornwall Coombe, there's a big common and they find a perfect colonial house for the family. The townspeople are very nice. They seem to be fitting in with the community. But the town of Cornwall Coombe is going to become a place of ultimate horror for Ned and his family. This came out in 1973. And the hardcover for this, it is so pretty. Okay, I feel like our listeners and like our people will understand what I mean by pretty because it's like a skeleton with like harvest imagery. It's our kind of pretty. Because <laughs> I look at it and I'm like, that is a beautiful book. <laughs> I really enjoy it just as an object. It's so pretty. And the 70s are just an era of horror I want to read more of. And this was actually one of the first books I read when I started really getting into horror again a few years ago. This book is very slow, I will say, for three quarters of it. And then it has like a crazy last 25%. So it's building up. Everything seems perfect. And I will say not even in a creepy way at the beginning. It's just kind of like as you go on, like little things stick out that you're like, that's a little odd. I didn't quite guess the secret. I will say if you're a big horror reader, you'll be able to guess what the secret is. But I thought it had a really, really good ending. There were some things I didn't love. There was some violence towards women I wasn't a huge fan of and that wasn't part of the horror and that it was a little slow. So Thomas Tryon, 
he died a couple years ago. I think he wrote this and the other, which I wanted to read for creepy kids, but then it just kept getting pushed. Other stuff just kept coming in and I didn't get to read it, but that was his other big thing. And I think both of these have adaptations. I think this one Harvest Home has like a mini series and I think the other has a very successful movie adaptation. But anyway, I'm putting this in the fridge because that ending was freaky and the whole secret that the town has is just real creepy. Okay, this is one I haven't read. So now I feel like you're talking about something and I feel all out of the loop. It bugs me so much. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to check it out for myself because I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just smiling and nodding over here without knowing what you're actually referring to. I wonder if there is an audiobook for this because I will say it's pretty slow. If you can find an audiobook for this I think that would be helpful or the way to go good to know you kind of know my reading taste so you know which way to steer me now I had to sneak in one last recommendation because I really enjoy these stories and I just want to talk about this last one and that is Regulation 19 by P.T. Hilton just for the sake of disclosure I want to mention that P.T. is a friend of the podcast however this book has been on my radar long before we ever interacted online I think I wanted to read it before we even started this podcast and I do receive some review copies from different authors and publishers but anyone who's been following my reviews for a while online will know that I'm not afraid to provide an honest and possibly negative opinion of a book I receive. So I just always like to be really upfront that I do sometimes have review copies I'm reading, but if I don't like a book, trust me, you'll know about it or I just won't be talking about it at all. All that being said, let's talk about the synopsis. If you don't know, this book opens with Frank Hinkle, who is just released from prison after being locked up for the last nine years. During his prison sentence, he was completely isolated from the outside world with no phones or no visits allowed. So he is unaware of what has been happening in the small town. Now out of prison, Frank is learning the fact that things have changed in the small town of Rook Mountain, Tennessee. The town is now led by a mysterious man who is known only as Zed and he has given the town a series of rules or regulations that they have to follow. The town people are diligently following these rules and are very quick to punish anyone who is ever caught breaking these rules. But then Frank and some of the other townspeople start to question the strange things that are going on in this town. And I'll just say that the story goes from there. And this is a book that could fit into so many different genres. I've heard people call it horror, fantasy, science fiction, suspense. You could call it a lot of different things for a lot of reasons. I can't talk a lot of specifics, but I very much enjoyed it. It is told through multiple perspectives that jump between a few different timelines. Some of the timelines are set before these regulations happen and then others take place during the present day. It was a lot of fun to learn what all the different regulations were. So as the story progresses, you start to learn what regulation one is, what regulation 19, 18, etc. And the story goes from there. I like the fact that this book slowly reveals the secrets of the small town over the course of the story. Unlike most of the other books or stories I was mentioning today, this one doesn't wait till the end for a last minute final twist in that last chapter. Instead, there's a lot more world building that happens because Frank is slowly 
introduced to the reality of the situation. And so in the different chapters, you get different nuggets of information that start to put the pieces together. So the success of the book doesn't rely so much on having a shocking twist, but instead you can enjoy this book from start to finish. I think this book could be easily reread because it wasn't a book that was so dependent on the twist that it sacrificed the other elements of the story. Instead, the characters were good, the action and adventure was really exciting, and it's the first in a series and I'm definitely planning on continuing on because I thought it was really engaging. And the way it ends was satisfying, but left me wanting to know what was next. And I'll leave it there because I don't want to say more. I would call it room temperature. I didn't find it scary or horrifying. It does have elements of horror in it, but I think it could be safely read by a wider range of readers. And so again, that is Regulation 19 by P.T. Hilton. It sounds really interesting. I'd really like you to read that one. I think you'd enjoy it a lot. I might have to do that. And you said you want to continue on with the series. I do. I believe it's a trilogy and the trilogy is called the Deadlock series. So I will definitely be continuing on, but I haven't yet. Too many books, too little time. It's the usual complaint of every reader. (laughs) Story of my life. So Stephanie, do you want to talk about something creepy you're loving at the moment? Yes. And you might not think it's creepy when I tell you what it is. It had fun horror nods in it. And that is the movie Ready Player One. Now, I will say going into this, I did not read the book before going to see the movie, which is usually one of my cardinal rules. Shame. Shame. I know. Just because I have a hard time reading a book after I've seen the movie, I just have a really hard time getting into it. So I have the audiobook on hold from the library and we'll see how we get along after having seen the movie with the changes that were made. So I am adding this as a creepy thing because I talked to Rachel and this was different from the book, but one of the challenges that they do to get like the second key is completely horror related. And they have to go into a movie and it's a very famous horror movie. My sister and I were watching it and she's like, no, no, no don't open that door no 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 because one of the characters hadn't seen the movie and the character was like oh i wonder what's behind this door i'm just gonna check this one out and we were like no 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 don't do that (laughs) it was really fun and of course there was a lot of nods to just horror characters i think if you've seen the trailer you saw that there's like a freddy krueger and like a chucky doll and just like little horror nods here and there just overall 80s nostalgia which i get it's not everyone's thing personally i'm really into it but if you're not i get it i will say that's a huge part of this movie (laughs) it's just like a nostalgia bomb but i thought it was fun And Rachel, I know you read the book and you're going to go see the movie, right? Yes, I'm hopefully going to see it this weekend. I'm jealous you saw it before me. I love the book. I read it uh, as a physical book. I've reread it on audio. It's one of my favorites. And they must have made changes because originally the challenge involving the movie was actually involving war games. So Mm -hmm. I like that they switched it up. I think they wanted to go with something that was a little bit more popular. But that just sounds really fun. And while I haven't seen it, I have watched the trailer. And I know they had all those different horror villains popping up. I also love 80s pop culture. So I have high hopes for the movie. And I'm glad to know that we had an excuse to talk about it during this episode. (laughs) 
I can't wait to check it out myself. It was really good. I didn't know that I was going to like it as much as I did. I had a lot of fun. I'm so glad. So what's your creepy thing? I decided to go with a podcast that I'm really loving. And I know I'm really into a podcast when it's taking me away from audiobooks because I haven't finished an audiobook in probably two weeks, which is really weird for me. I'm usually always listening to an audiobook, but I just can't stop listening to this podcast. And there's a lot of episodes, which is a bad thing. That podcast is called Generation Y, as in W-H-Y, the question. And it's another true crime podcast because apparently I can't get enough of true crime these days. <laughs> Each episode is an hour long and analyzes a different case. And so I like that they're self-contained. You can kind of pick and choose episodes and topics that you're interested in. And there's a good range of cases. Some of them are disappearances to unsolved murders. And they also look into some controversial convictions where someone has been convicted of a crime. And they're trying to decide whether or not the person was falsely convicted or if they actually did it. I don't believe that the hosts, Aaron and Justin, are affiliated with the police or other law institutions, but they seem to have a really good understanding or fascination with true crime. I really enjoy the part of the episode where they basically go through and they give you just the nutshell short version of the facts you need to know about the case. But then what I love so much is that they go on to analyze the evidence and they always raise these really thought-provoking points about the case and they always provide their opinions on what they think happened to the victim or who most likely did it. And I'm a huge fan of that armchair detective work and this podcast is exactly that. And I just love the puzzling through the cases and I don't always agree with them. Sometimes they come to different conclusions than I would have. But I love the controversy. They don't always agree with each other. And it's just so fascinating. There are over 250 episodes. So if you enjoy it, there's a lot to get through. I probably have to stop listening to them because I need to get back to audiobooks. But I'm just really addicted. I've listened to episodes about a woman who disappeared on a boat and another one about a girl that went missing and her mother was under suspicion. It's just so gripping. I know you're not as big of a fan of true crime and not everyone is, but I can't help it. I'm really addicted to this podcast. And that again is Generation Y, W-H-Y. And I am so obsessed. I've been like slowly getting into some true crime podcasts, but I th it's even worse because they're more like comedy centric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been like listening to like last podcast on the left and like some my favorite murder and like date with dateline. <laughs> I don't even know those ones. You'll have to send me some links after or maybe include them in future episodes and tell me more about those. Definitely. <laughs> So Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast we post every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. Or you can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. You can find show notes for this episode and all past episodes at booksinthefreezer.wordpress.com. We are also on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. We want to take this moment to give a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Elizabeth, and PT. If you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on the podcast app that you use, possibly iTunes or Stitcher. It really helps people find the podcast. 
And we had a new five-star review on iTunes from DH Freak saying, Finally, a podcast where horror books are discussed. It's so hard to discover new horror novels when not a lot of people talk about them. So happy this podcast exists. My TBR list is growing more and more, and my horror section looks amazing now. Thanks. You're welcome. We are very glad to have contributed to your horror section. Yes. <laughs> and we got a four-star review on Stitcher from K Reads, who says... A great mix of book reviews and recommendations. The ability of the host to focus on the books, even between their light banter, is refreshing. Would recommend to anyone with an interest in the horror genre. And thank you very much, Kay Reads. I am 70. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange. Or on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.